Welcome to Fit Body Happy Joints. My name is Shannon. I'm a doctor of physical therapy. I'm a fitness instructor and I'm the owner of Evlo Fitness. I'm happy you're here today. Today I'm releasing the second part of my interview with Dr. Amelia Poncher, who is a pelvic health and women's health specialist, physical therapist. And this episode, this portion of the episode is focused on pregnancy and postpartum. We talk about things that women can do to prepare for pregnancy. We talk about how to work your core during pregnancy. And she kind of debunks some myths about how you shouldn't be doing crunches during your pregnancy and all the things. And then we talk a little bit about diastasis recti. We talk about the mom pooch, which is something that drives both of us crazy, but we talk about like, can you get rid of your mom pooch? What is that? How to train your abs, um, after after pregnancy. So I introduced Amelia last week, but I'm going to read her introduction again, just in case you didn't listen to last week's. So Amelia may previously Amelia Poncher is a doctor of physical therapy, specializing in women's health and pelvic health. She is the director of physical therapy at Genesis PT and wellness in Dallas, Texas, where she also treats patients throughout the week. She has a background in sports and orthopedics, previously working with high school athletes and adult Olympic weightlifting athletes. So I love this episode because she really understands people who love to exercise. She also loves helping folks return to exercise after injury and pain, pelvic floor dysfunction, and or pregnancy and postpartum. She holds a certification in functional dry needling and has completed a multitude of pelvic floor and women's health related continuing education courses over the years. So here we go. Let's dive into my conversation with Dr. Amelia. Let's transition a little bit into pregnancy and postpartum. And I, I would assume that a lot of the things that you talked about in the first half of this episode will apply to, to this episode or to this part of the episode, um, preparing for pregnancy. Is there anything that we should be doing to prepare our pelvic floor for pregnant? Like if, if someone's not yet, um, pregnant, but they want to eventually get pregnant in the near future. Is there anything that we should be doing to kind of prepare our pelvic floor for this? Yeah, I definitely feel as though like physical fitness is just important in general, um, for fertility reasons, obviously. So just like getting into some sort of exercise, it doesn't have to be high intensity. It could be walking every day if you wanted to, I don't care, but I think that's really important when you're pregnant. So if you get into that routine prior to pregnancy, then that will just serve you well. Um, obviously I would say the diaphragmatic breathing is good for everybody, but especially that's going to come into play when you go into labor and delivery. So getting that kind of process down before is really helpful. Um, and then just knowing how to get a good transverse abdominus contraction. So that way you feel like you can effectively do abdominal exercise as long as you feel comfortable doing so in pregnancy. Um, because again, that transverse abdominus is going to relate over to what your pelvic floor is doing. And at some point, um, your six pack abdominal muscles are going to separate in the third trimester at the latest, which is a normal process that happens to every female. It's not scary. And, you know, at that point, you're not going to be able to use your six pack abs as effectively. So you're going to need some help. Um, and that underlayer is really going to do it for you, that transverse abdominus. So I think if I had to break it down, I would say those are the best three things you can do in pre-pregnancy and like first and second trimester. Amazing. Can you, so you can train your abdominals, your rectus abdominus in first and second trimester. And we've talked about this before. Let's get into doing something like a Pilates class or crunches or things like that during those first two trimesters. Is that something that's, um, that's not advised or is it something that you can continue to do? 
Yeah. So this is like a, a hot take um, because again, not a lot of research on pregnant people because hormones and everyone's so different. Also, I think most people would say they don't feel great in the first trimester. You're just trying to make sure that the pregnancy sticks. And um, also a lot of people are getting sick. They're having a lot of food changes, a lot of aversions. So there's a lot happening in the first trimester. So I find often that most are just not exercising as much in the first trimester. So I think doing more like light things like walking and yoga are just going to feel better to you anyways. Nothing to do with that you can't do anything else. I just think those are probably more productive for your overall well-being at that point. Um, but if you go to ACOG's website, which is like the gynecology obstetrics, you know, American official association, they literally say on there, cause I always tell people this, it says abdominal. Well, there's a study that's listed on their website that says this, but it's like, I'm pretty sure it's capitalized somewhere on their clinical studies page. It says abdominal and core muscular conditioning is seldom recommended for pregnant populations. A literature review, though, clearly indicates support from the medical field for the application of core muscular training during pregnancy to help alleviate many issues associated with pregnancy. Specific core exercises are described to aid in the implementation of safe and effective training during pregnancy. So that in itself is a confusing statement because it says clearly is it seldom recommended for pregnant people. But then it says the medical field. So medical professionals are telling you that you should do it. But ACOG is saying it's been indicated that you shouldn't. So it's like, how is the lay person supposed to know what to do when you just said a conflicting statement yes. in one paragraph? In one breath. You're like, in one yeah, breath. we're very confused. <laughs> yes. So then if you go to the research article that has that at the top of it, um, they, again, still pretty vague on the stuff that they do recommend. They said side bridges. What I think they're trying to say there is like a side plank. That's side what plank. I understood that as. Yeah. Yeah. I've never heard um, of the term side bridge. I think that's side plank. <laughs> I know. I was like, uh, okay. Yeah. And then, um, just like isometric contractions of your transverse abdominis pelvic tilts, which is in my mind, great, but pretty basic. Doesn't really do a lot for the abdominal component of things. It's just like, it's good to know how to do. I would agree on that. And then it says crunches and sit-ups and upper and lower back exercises. So all really effective things. I think at that point, it's just more along the lines of what's going on with your specific pregnancy. So if you've been told by your maternal fetal specialist or your OB-GYN or your midwife that you should not do these things, great. I'm so with that. Do not go against your medical provider. I would just ask questions why. I would say, can you tell me why I shouldn't do this? And if they say, well, because I think baby's heart rate is going to drop or because you have this issue going on or people who have like, um, you know, placental issues totally good. I get that. I just want somebody to have a backing as to why they shouldn't do something. If they can't give a straightforward answer, then I think it's okay if you feel comfortable to push that limit a little bit. I'm not telling you to be reckless. I'm just saying, you know, it's okay to test out an abdominal activity that's not a crunch if that makes you uncomfortable. I think it's all about what the person feels is right for them. I don't know that it's technically been deemed unsafe for a certain population when there's so much variation in that whole population. Yeah. That's amazing answer. I think there's a lot of misconceptions around this. So for someone like, again, I'm thinking of my Wednesday burn class where we're, again, we're doing like a significant amount of rectus abdominis and oblique work. First and second trimester, is it safe to pretty much do that class with, without a ton of modifications? For sure. Okay. Yeah. Again, if they're doing things like the breathing and getting a good TA contraction as they're doing these things, they've got that foundation right there. And like, that's what I go over with all of my patients, pregnant, not pregnant. I don't care if you don't know how to breathe. Well, of course your core is not going to work, you know, 
as effectively as it could. And then you're also bringing down your risk for diastasis recti when you're doing those things, which is a whole other conversation. But mm-hmm. I mean, I can't, unless they have been directed by their doctor to not exercise or specifically to not do something, I don't see any reason why they couldn't do those things unless they find for them that they're creating pelvic floor symptoms or pain, or they're feeling short of breath, you know, like those signs, like something is not right. Okay. So those are the signs that maybe you should be modifying and not doing that exercise. If you're getting short of breath, having some sort of pelvic pain, things like that. Totally. Your leakage can be one. That means you're not managing pressure. Well, if you're seeing that coning or doming, which means that like longitudinal bulge at the middle of your belly, that usually doesn't show up until maybe the second trimester um, or third. So, okay. Let's talk about preventing diastasis recti. Is it something, I know you said ab separation is inevitable for most, if not all women. Um, What is diastasis recti? And is there is there tools that people can use during pregnancy to kind of prevent it? Yeah. So yeah, just like you said, remember that abdominal separation has to happen to every pregnant person, at least in the third trimester, sometimes as early as the second to create some room for baby to grow. Cause after a while, there's nowhere for them to go on the sides. They've got to go forward. And so that is a normal process. Nothing to be afraid of. Um, diastasis recti is when there is a separation going on, but then you're adding some sort of dysfunction with that, meaning you're putting too much pressure on that connective tissue that was holding those two pieces of your ab muscles together. And now that creation of the pressure is causing issues, whether that's like your core cannot stabilize as well, or it's causing pain, or it's eventually going to cause an umbilical hernia, which is really my biggest concern with diastasis recti, because a hernia is not only like not fun if it's causing you like some displeasing aesthetics, like you don't want to look at it because it's like a bulge around your belly button, but also it can be like a little bit tender and sore to the touch and that requires surgery. And you can't have that surgery done by most surgeons. They will tell you until you are done having children. So if this is your first pregnancy and you get it, that stinks, you know, because if you want to have more kids, you're gonna have to deal with this for a while. So then you definitely need to go to pelvic PT. Um, and also you can't have that surgery while you're breastfeeding. So if you had plans to breastfeed for a year or two, I mean, that surgery is a while away now. So just, you know, things you have to consider, but, um, you asked me another question in there that now I can't remember. (laughs) What Um, is it? And is there a way to kind of prevent it, um, during pregnancy? Yeah. Yeah, So you could do everything right in the world and still end up with diastasis recti because surprisingly, a lot of it is based on genetics. So if you know that immediate female family members had it, then you might as well just kind of have the mindset of like, okay, I'm going to try to do as much as I can. But if I end up getting it, it was not my fault. It's just genetics for me. And again, not a massive deal in itself. It does not necessarily mean that you're going to get an umbilical hernia. It just means we need to not exacerbate it. And so by that, I mean, we're not trying to create that coning or doming in your belly. And so we need to get really good at breathing. We need to get really good at that transverse abdominis contraction and really good at modifying our day-to-day activities that are causing that coning and doming because it can come about with things like picking up something heavy, bending over, getting up out of bed, like by sitting straight up, things like that. And that's not just postpartum is that that's during pregnancy itself is working on that diaphragmatic breathing. If you're noticing the coning to avoid DR and also avoid hernia. Yes. So that could happen in pregnancy that could happen postpartum. And it also can happen to men. Really? Okay. Typically an overweight men, but yes, it can happen to men too. So it's not just females. Yes. Okay. So let's shift gears and talk about training postpartum. Um, Obviously there's an amount of neuro neuromuscular reeducation that ha- that needs to happen. I, I assume that for a long time afterwards. So 
we're going to be looking for that coning piece again. And like, what, where do you recommend starting with postpartum training, especially for the core muscles? Yeah, I feel as though it kind of depends a little bit on how your delivery went. So, you know, was it vaginal or was it cesarean? And then if it was vaginal, how did that birth go? Did you have to, you know, have a forceps or vacuum assist? Were you laboring and pushing for a really long time? Um, were you induced? Did we have any tearing? How did your stitches heal? I mean, all that stuff really matters to how the person is physically feeling. Um, and then cesarean, like, wow, that's a major abdominal surgery. People really try to downplay that. But, um, in both of those situations, there's, there's a lot of healing that has to go on. And I think there's a lot of pressure put on this six week timeline when in reality, I feel like most people are healing up into 12 weeks, you know, that whole fourth trimester conversation. And then just like with any surgery or injury, like at a cellular level, stuff is still happening until you're a year out. And then you want to add breastfeeding or pumping into that equation. And now we still got our progesterone and our prolactin still pretty high and estrogen's pretty low. And as females, estrogen is like our feel-good hormone. And so there's just a lot of factors going on there. So in terms of training, it really depends on where you were at prior to pregnancy, during pregnancy, and then how did your delivery go? Because if you were somebody who worked out a ton pre-pregnancy, and then you really didn't do much during pregnancy because you know, complications happened or you didn't know what to do and you were fearful of harming things. Um, it's going to take a while to work our way back into that. But I think as a general guideline, I usually tell folks like, if it feels good for you, start walking within a week or two postpartum. And over that time period, start slowly building yourself back up. So starting with body weight exercise, you know, mat based Pilates, yoga type movements, um, at around six weeks, if you're feeling good, you can get on a stationary bike or a stair stepper. Um, I usually don't recommend high intensity running, jumping things just because based on research, we know that you're going to add pelvic floor problems if you don't create some strength and stability prior to that. So 12 weeks is usually what I say for running and jumping stuff. Um, so I know that's kind of a roundabout way of answering your question, but it, yeah. it really, it really depends on the person and what they're doing. But if they've been doing something like Evlo, I think Evlo is a great reintroduction. So, you know, they could start back into that, you know, anywhere from two to four weeks out if that feels good for them. But again, you're looking out for signs that you need to modify. So you might not be able to go and do every single thing in the class, but if that makes you feel good to be in back in like that group-ish environment, like, great, go do that. You know, you yes. just might have to tweak a couple things here and there, but You'll know if you've done too much because first sign is your postpartum bleeding will increase a little bit. And that's not like detrimental. It's okay. It's just like, be aware of that. You might have urine leakage. You might feel like you're wanting to hold your breath, meaning something is too hard. So you can't relate to accommodating that pressure, any sort of pelvic pain, back pain, um, any pelvic pressure, heaviness, or feelings of fullness down in the vagina is another one. So those are all good signs that like, maybe you've done a little too much, like take a step back or modify that activity. And that goes for dated activities too, because a lot of moms do too much around the house too early. Yes. That makes that an excellent answer. Super thorough. Let's talk a little bit about the mom pooch. Have you seen this all over Instagram? The mom pooch yes. and like how to get rid of your mom pooch. <laughs> That's like the Let's, bane of my existence, Shannon. I was going to say, Peyton and I have been like texting about it. We're like, we are going to go crazy. And it's a lot of times it's not necessarily people who are educated and all like, like you are in, in this world. Um, sure. It's like personal trainers who are just anecdotally going through their own process. So yeah. let's talk about the mom pooch, what this is and like some misconceptions, myths around all of this. So first things first, I think it's clickbait a lot of times and yeah. it's, just like terribly sad because it's like, why are females given so much dang pressure all the time about how we look and, 
I mean, love males, but like, I just don't feel like it's the same, you know? I know. But I digress. Um, I think the mom pooch is basically just like extra tissue. Sometimes might be fat. Sometimes might be skin. Depends on the person and what they feel. But it's more of an aesthetics thing than anything else. People just want to get rid of it because they're not used to it. Granted, I think sometimes that can happen just based on how many pregnancies they had, how close together those were. Um, Because for some people, it truly is just loose skin. And sadly enough, I'm like, that might require surgery if you want to get that loose skin taken off. And I mean, I don't mean that to be like rude or blunt, but sometimes that truly is, you know, just is what it is. Your body just had to stretch and accommodate so many times in a certain time period. Um, And depending on how big baby was or how small your body was compared to them. I mean, there's just so many factors there. So that's one thing. But um, a lot of the mom pooch is sadly based on genetics. Like I can tell you for a fact, every female in my family, we all have been blessed to have that. And I've never had kids. And I think it's just like a genetic component. And I've even looked into some research on this and I'll have to find the articles I looked at a while back, but genetics are a huge component to it. I mean, we all just hold fat tissue and store fat tissue in different areas of our body. And females typically hold theirs more in the stomach region and more at the hips because of the ability for us to conceive and carry. And so again, just like we talked about diastasis recti, you could do everything right in the world, but just like with anything else in our bodies, Shannon and I can eat the same things and do the same workouts and our body composition will look completely different. And that's, that's not going to change whether you're prenatal or postpartum. And it sucks because I have so many women who walk into my office and that's not the only thing they're looking for in terms of their PT goals, but it's definitely inserted in there as important to them. And we kind of have to have this like light conversation about how like, I'm going to do everything I can to help you with all these issues, but I want to be upfront that this is not necessarily a goal of mine because I don't know that I'm going to be able to change that. And I'm not trying to be rude or bring somebody's hopes down, but I mean, it's just, it is what it is. And that's why it's so interesting. I mean, I, like you say all the time, like you can't spot treat that. It just, our bodies don't work that way. Yeah. I think what I see a lot around it is, um, people talking about the mom pooch and that's the clickbait, right. Getting people to like pay attention to their post. And then mm-hmm. they'll say like, stop doing crunches and just start doing like, you know, dead bugs and things like that. So what are your thoughts around that? I mean, as you've heard me say this whole time, I definitely think that there's a lot of benefit to knowing how to, for lack of a better term, isolate, even though you can't isolate one muscle in the body, but knowing how to activate the transverse abdominus more than your other muscles or get it to be the first thing to go or to feel like it's working in conjunction with those. And again, it is on that lower portion of your belly. So I'm sure that's going to be helpful for the area in terms of feeling stronger there, but is it necessarily going to change the fat tissue that's there with it? I don't think so. You know, like who knows, but I think, yes, there is value in that, but I don't personally relate that to the mom pooch thing. But also I think my mindset's a little different and I'm not trying to sell people anything. So I don't feel like I need to have that quick baby thing of like, we're going to get rid of this. Cause also I don't like to make guarantees I can't keep. And that is definitely one that I don't feel comfortable guaranteeing people. Yep. Yeah. It's really sad. It's sad because it yeah. not only is it like gives people false hope, but it makes them feel like there's something wrong with them for having that very 100%. natural thing. There. And moms already have way too much on their plate as mental pressures. I like, I don't need to add one more thing to their plate. I'm trying to pull anxiety out of their lives. Yes. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes. Yes. Just, we don't, we don't need to make anyone feel any worse about all the things that they're having going on in their body. I mean, like a lot of it's out of their control. They just, they just brought a human into this world and that's really freaking hard and they don't need any more. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Yeah. 
Well, we should end there because I mean, that, I love that it. was, I feel like we could t- keep talking forever. And um, I know that my audience is just going to get so much value out of this. So can you tell people where they can find you, how they can work with you, all of the things? Oh, that's so sweet. Um, yeah, I am the Dallas director at Genesis PT and Wellness. So um, Genesis PT and Wellness has an Instagram account. We have a website, genesisptwellness.com. There's a contact us page on there that people can fill out to work with any of our therapists, um, which I would highly recommend. I am one of many amazing PTs at our practice. I've learned so much from all the other pelvic PTs in this world, and especially from my boss, who also has an amazing course now. So, I mean, I'm one of many. I'm not anything special compared to them. But um, yeah, and I also have an Instagram. It's Dr. Period Anilia underscore DPT, I think. Um, I can't, you know, it's weird when you can't remember your own name. I know, I know. Um, I do that with my phone number a lot. People are like, what's your phone number? I'm like, what is my phone number? (laughs) I'm like, I'm having to relate this. 13, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yes, so Instagram, we have a Facebook website. That's usually how people contact us though. We do virtual, we do in-person. I am at our Dallas location, but we're all over DFW at Genesis. You do virtual. So if someone's not in the state yeah. of Texas, can they still see you? hundred percent. I've seen people in Canada. I have two clients right now in Japan, which is really cool. So no way. all over. Yeah. That is awesome. You were doing things. You were doing things. We'll yeah. make sure to link all of the stuff in the show notes too, in case y'all are listening and want to just have easy access to Amelia. Well, Amazing. Amelia, thank you so much. This was so good. I so appreciate you oh, taking your time. You. No, I'm so thankful you invited me. You know, I love you and Evlo and you're so smart and amazing. And I'm so grateful to be on here. Oh, oh, I think all the same things about you. Yay. Thanks, Amelia. There you have it. Hope you enjoyed this episode, this conversation with Amelia, and we will see you all next week. Same time, same place. Bye for now.